in light of those things, if you'd turn your attention now to the Word of God, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this morning, a study uh, that I've entitled The Priorities of Prayer. When we think about prayer and we think about the priorities of prayer, you know, sometimes we think on those things which are kind of what we could look at as, as types of prayer. And I really don't believe that's what's in view here. Because I think God has rather a singular priority, if you will, and that singular priority is the salvation of souls. God's chief concern, if you will, is not who's president. God's chief concern is not whether people have money. God's chief concern isn't the the things that we would normally concern ourselves with. God's chief concern is eternity. And God's chief concern with regard to people is where people will spend eternity because everyone's going to spend eternity somewhere. Amen? Uh, You all have an eternal destination. For those of us in this room, probably most, if not all of us, that eternal destination is heaven. But there is an option. And so we find in this passage, after Paul addresses to Timothy uh, that which makes it real, we, we make it personal, we make our lives transparent to be used, there is a point to that transparency. If I just simply share with you my own issues in life and I share with you my own humanness and how God's grace has ministered to those areas of my life, but it has no purpose, then it really doesn't gain the kingdom anything. In other words, for me to just divulge my own uh, things that God has done in my life, you would know immediately what those things are, but there's a purpose to that. And we find it in this passage of Scripture. It's not just simply for me to be relatable. It is simply that people would have an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. And so as we now take on part of chapter 2, I pray that the Lord would use this time this morning to minister to each of us. And would you join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to do that very thing. Father God, First and foremost, Lord, we want to pray for these things which we have discussed. And God, I just want to pray for the Lowe family. I want to pray for Chet and Andrea and all of the kids. And Lord, for Chet's mom and dad, Lord, just going through a very, very, very difficult time right now. And we don't really know for sure where Matt was with you. But we know what your word says. And Lord, if there was any possible way that he can spend eternity in heaven... Uh, with you. We know you did everything, and we pray that you would just now comfort the family. Pray that you would fill that, that void that he has left. Uh, Lord, with your people who are called by your name, just expressing uh, their care for this family. And Lord, for these new ministries which now are underway, and Lord, we look forward to how you will use your people uh, to reach the hurting and the broken in this world. Lord, those whom Uh, Maybe the world would just cast away. Lord, you are looking at each and every one of those kids as precious. Lord, it's your desire that they would spend eternity with you. And Lord, perhaps through the hands of love of your people, that you would draw those children unto your name. We bless you. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray now that you would speak to us through it. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in First Timothy chapter 2. And so he begins with, therefore, again, turn your attention to what has previously been said whenever you see that word. I exhort first of all that supplications. Now notice there are several types, what we would look at as types of prayer here. But I believe really that it expresses more the diversity of prayer than it does types of prayer. That, that prayer should encompass every area and every aspect of life. All things, and there are times when we do these things, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and lastly, thanksgiving. And quite frankly, thanksgiving is there because that's the way we humans think of it. We often give thanks after the fact, but can I tell you that from God's perspective, I think thankfulness really should be at the beginning. That, That we are to have thankful hearts in prayer. Thankful that we can even pray. Thankful that we're even saved. Thankful that we know God in His amazing sovereign plan wills to work and to do as is His good pleasure. And we are simply joining Him in those things which we know He wants to do. Why God has left this beautiful uh, practice and principle that we call prayer in the life of the church to some degree is a mystery, because God, we recognize, is all-powerful. He's completely sovereign. He, he obviously can do anything whenever he wants to, but he has also left us a part in his plan. And our part in his plan is to pray. It's to join him. It's to seek him. It's to intercede. It's to stand in the gap, in other words, for others. It's to supplicate. It's to repetitively ask of the Lord in those areas that we're certain in. You see, when I supplicate, when I'm inquiring of the Lord very deeply in a specific area, it's because I know exactly what His will is. And there are many things that I know that to be true. In other words, we're going to see one of them. Salvation. God does not want anyone and has never wanted anyone to perish, ever. So I can supplicate, I can inquire of the Lord and go, Lord, save that person. And that's a repetitive prayer. I pray that prayer over and over and over and over. I continue to pray that prayer for my own mom. I have prayed that prayer for almost three decades And I'm going to keep praying that prayer until there's no reason to pray it anymore. One way or another. You you see, we get to join God. Now, why God hasn't chosen to answer that in the way that I believe He wants to, because His Word plainly states it, I don't know. My part is to keep praying. My part's to keep supplicating. My part is to stand in the gap. Right now I'm standing in the gap for my brother who's pierced through of heart. Lord, my brother Chet needs your strength. My brother Chet needs your touch. He needs your words. His family's been 
very, very difficult to discern what it is exactly what they would like at the memorial service. I can tell you, I have done memorial services for my own family members. No pastor wants to do that. And it is unbearably difficult. And so I'm interceding for him. Go, Lord, I don't know that that's what you want. Would you please impress upon those people who are trying to pressure him one way or another? I'm standing in the gap for him. You see, we're to make these different types of prayer to the end result that God's will would be accomplished. And so he says and goes on now in verse 2, for kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So, God wants us to be people of prayer. What are your priorities in prayer? Can I say to you that most of us kind of have at times pretty lame prayer lives? Amen? Anybody else prayed for things that you've looked back and gone, that wasn't God's will? My priorities were not God's priorities. My priorities were a new car. No, it's not that God doesn't want you to know what He wants in that area. But I can pretty much guarantee you that shouldn't be horribly high on your prayer list every day. People's salvation should be way up there on the prayer list. What is God's priority? You see, we're to pray about everything, but in the same time we're to leave the results in the hands of a God who knows how to answer each according to His will. Anybody tried to force God's hand through prayer? (laughs) I have. I've prayed all kinds of crazy stuff. I've asked God to do things that ultimately looking back, it wasn't even His will. I think we can pray sometimes. Sometimes I think the thing that we need to pray for is how we ought to pray. Amen? Lord, I'm not sure here. Would you help me to seek you in a way that actually glorifies your plan and purpose and not mine? Because I can think things that, quite frankly, aren't his will. It's not intentional. It's not like I sit around, oh, I'd like to be disobedient today. It's not that at all. There are times when I'm uncertain. There are times when I don't know. Are you seeking his priorities in prayer? I want you to notice... For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice his focus. Who desires how many men? All men. You know what that actually says in Greek? All men. You know what God's intent is? All men. You know what his heart is? All men. All of mankind. It literally says, all of mankind. Every last human being. Plain statement, who desires all of mankind to be what? Saved. God's desire is that all of mankind be saved. Now, do you believe for a moment that if it's God's desire for something that he is enabled to do it? 
Do you think that he has not the resources to accomplish that which he desires? Do you think that for a moment God would leave in the hands of failed mankind sole responsibility to accomplish those things which God has plainly stated he desires? The answer is, of course not. God's desire is all mankind to be saved. He wants every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every person who's walking aberrantly that's actually going to church every Sunday. God wants all men to be saved. So the net result, actually, of our prayer life, our focus should be things which cause people's lives to be changed for the cause of Christ. That should occupy a vast majority of our time. God's priority is souls. Now, it doesn't mean you can't pray for that new house loan. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray for that job. All those things have a place, too. God's priority is souls. And to come to the knowledge of the truth, that simply is, in essence, the pure gospel. It's that which saves men's souls. For there is one God, notice what it says next. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is another one of those verses which you can couple along with John 14.6. You can couple it with 2 Peter 3.9. You, you can very easily understand what is being said here. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one mediator. There's only one bridge between heaven and earth. There's only one that spans that chasm of sin that bridges the gap, that takes care of the issues that we have, there's only one. Praise God. There's only one Savior. There is no plan B. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for how many? It says all, doesn't it? So do you not think that the blood of Christ is able to save all? This is a plain statement of Scripture. Now it doesn't say it will save all. It says it can save all. It's more than sufficient for anyone and for everyone who will believe to be testified in due time. In other words, when the light goes on, Sufficient for all. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. And I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. He's qualifying this because this letter is going to be read in the church. Timothy understands it. But for us, there's no other way. There's no other plan of salvation. But Christ Jesus is Lord. And God's plan is that all be saved a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. For I desire, now Paul says, therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And what he's really saying here is God's basic priority is people coming to Jesus. It should be the church's priority. 
Now, in the moment I say that, people, well, you know, well, what about the plans of the church and what about children? Those things are all part of this. I don't want to give you the wrong impression here. But when we talk about priorities, we talk about an ordered system of numbering, do we not? If you have priorities, there's something at the top of the list, is there not? If you have a to-do list, there's a number one, is there not? And that's what's being said. The number one thing, the number one priority of God is the salvation of souls. It's people coming to Christ. Everything else is secondary. So if what we're praying about leads not to men's souls being changed, then it at best is peripheral to the plans of God. If it hinders that, then it's probably not God's will at all. If what you're praying for and praying about is not bringing you and others closer to Jesus, you might want to readjust your priorities in prayer. Because His perfect plan, expressed here very clearly, is that people come to Jesus. We're going to see as we journey through these next couple of chapters, and again, as I've shared with you, these particular books, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are called the pastoral epistles. And they certainly are instruction manual to the church on how we ought to live. But can I say to you, they're really more about the basic roles than they are about the people that are going to be chosen. They're generalities to a very large degree. Paul's not going to spell out exactly what a deacon should do, but he's going to spell out what a deacon should be. How we should live our lives. Because if we'll be the right thing, then people will see Jesus. Amen? Why do you suppose that Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, there in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I prophesy, but I have not love, I'm as a sounding brass. You know why he said that? Because ultimately you can have all the doctrinal issues pretty well squared away, but if you don't possess the one thing that draws men unto repentance, which is his love, his long-suffering, his kindness, his gentleness, his endurance to bear all things, you see, if you don't take the rest of that list and realize that it isn't about being doctrinally correct, it's about Jesus Christ as Lord. And he's expressing that in love. He's reminding us, in essence, of the type of people that we should be so that other people would look at our lives and go, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be speaking for the voice of the Lord. When I lose God's priority, which is people, and it becomes about whether the church is clean, and again, we want to take care of God's things, but if I reverse those priorities, I will never forget this. I was just newly on staff more than two decades ago at Calvary Chapel of Vista. And one of my duties, amongst many other things, was on service times, I was responsible for the way the church looked. I had a crew of volunteers, and they were vacuuming and do all the, all of those things. And I remember at the time we had a skate ministry going on, and pretty much every single teenager that came to the church had a skateboard. And I remember on a Wednesday night sitting there in the foyer of the church and about three high schoolers went by on their skateboards in the church. 
And I thought, dear God in heaven, they're going to burn in hell for sure. And I chased them down, and I, I thought, you know, what are you doing in here? I said, do you realize that's leaving wheel marks on the, you know, on the tile? And I looked back at it, and, and as, as I realized I had done that so unlovingly, God just busted me. Yeah, I mean, you really probably shouldn't skateboard through the church, but you probably shouldn't make a skateboarder feel like he's going to hell because he did. Amen? You see, God's priority, yeah, he probably wants us to treat his things with respect. I think that's sure. But if in making that message known to somebody, they don't know that Jesus loves them, then we don't have God's priority. If I could have prayed one thing for those three young men, you know what it should have been? That they know Jesus. Not that the floor not have skateboard marks on it. Now, those things are not totally mutually exclusive. We do need to have standards and all of those things, but we need to communicate it in a way that we seek God's desire, which is all men be saved. Love. Amen? I will give you a little heads up for next week. And I'm going to start by being very loving right now. We're going to tackle probably the toughest passage of Scripture found in the New Testament with regard to the role of women next week. Passage of Scripture the church has been fighting over for the Lord only knows how long. The role of women. I can tell you this, we're going to handle it in love. In Jesus' name. So bring your feminist friends, family, because God desires all men to be saved. And quite honestly, I, I truly believe that there's a very simple explanation for this next passage. We're going to look at that. But all things pertaining to life and godliness should point towards Jesus Christ as Lord. All things. So, so we shouldn't just be doctrinally correct if we're driving people from Christ. Amen? I'm going to share with you a few things this morning as we go through this passage a little bit more in detail. You, you see, it's so important that we lay hold of this one truth. Because if we lose this one, we can't join, in, join God in his priorities in prayer. We just can't. Because if we lose sight of the first thing, which is he's desiring all men to be saved, then we might start promoting buildings. We might pr start promoting ministries. We might start promoting parts of the ministry. We might start looking at finances. We could start looking at all kinds of things that would be completely out of God's priority. We can lose sight of souls and focus in on whether, you know, the worship team is playing the kind of music that you particularly like. We can lose sight of the very most important thing to God if we don't stay focused on his priority, which is souls. These chapters that we're in, I want to remind you that all the way from uh, the very most staunch hierarchical hierarchy uh, of Episcopalian thinking that you find in the Catholic Church to the Presbyterianism to that which is the congregationally led church, 
all take their basic church governance from these next couple of chapters. Everybody looks at the same passage of Scripture, and it's amazing how much diversity comes out of it. But I can tell you this, there should only be one focus. So if it's a church led by bishops, or if it's a church led by a presbytery or a group of elders who are leaders, or if it's a church that's led by the entire church itself, the focus should be people coming to Christ. Not what the church looks like, not what color it gets painted, not whether you buy new air conditioning or the right sign is out front, but are people coming to Jesus? That's the focus of the church. And so he says, first of all, I urge you. In other words, therefore, that these types of prayer, and, and again, there's, in the New Testament, there are seven different words used for types, if you will, of prayer. And, and I don't know that there's so much the types as they are the scope of prayer. Prayer has a very wide scope. Sometimes we're interceding, sometimes we're supplicating, sometimes we're petitioning God in prayer, but we should always be thanksgiving in prayer. Always thankful to God. Because thankfulness comes from a place of faith, family of God. I don't know how God's going to use this situation that my brother Chet's going through right now. I don't know how God's going to do that. But I know this, I'm thanking God already for what God's going to do. Because I believe I know who my God is. I know that His promises are true. They are sure. Scripture declares to me that these things that God has promised me, He will come to bring to pass. They're going to happen. I can look at them, in essence, as His perfect will. If I'm praying for that, He'll accomplish it. He began that good work. He's able to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And so this is one of those places to where we get to help God change the world through our prayers. Isn't that crazy? To think that we get to join God in the work that he's doing throughout the world by seeking his face and putting attention to the things of God. Is God able to do it without us? Yes. And sometimes he's forced to because we don't pray. But he wants us to be involved. And you know what happens? Unique thing that happens when you pray effectively. You get changed. You are blessed. Your faith is built up. One of the after effects, if you will, of an effective prayer life is that you yourself receive the blessing of watching God work. You yourself can see the fruit of it. And so he's encouraging us. Notice how he begins this. He says that we ought to be praying notice for everyone. You have people in your life you don't like to pray for? I do. I admit Momar Gaddafi's not high on my prayer list. And when I do, it's usually probably not God's will that I'm praying for. Lord, could he need a Tomahawk cruise missile today? I don't, you know, yeah, we, we do. We pray some things sometimes. I'm thinking God doesn't pray those things. He's not thinking those things. You know that person that Jesus reminded us of, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do you actually do that? Do you remember what he said there in Matthew 5? 
Verse 44, what did he say? He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So when you think about everyone, you know who your everyone usually is? It's people you like. It's people you love. It's things you want to see happen because they benefit you at times. Could I invite you to broaden your scope of prayer? Pray outside of your little box a little bit. I I speak to myself as I speak to you. Are, Are you praying for people with whom perhaps you disagree vehemently? As Donald Guthrie said, he said, the wider the subjects for prayer, the larger becomes the vision of the soul that prays. The larger the subjects of prayer, the, the larger becomes your vision for that person that you are as you pray is another way to look at it. When I have a narrow prayer life, I don't see much of God's glory, quite frankly. Because I'm not asking God, I'm not seeking God, I'm not joining God, I'm not even engaged in the things that God's doing if I'm not praying. Then I just kind of receive whatever comes down the pike. Don't you want to be a part of what God's doing? You see, that's the focus of prayer. It's you joining God. How God does this, I can't explain to you fully. I don't know anybody who can. Because God can do it without you, and God can do it without me. But he doesn't want to, and he delights when we join him. And he does all kinds of things wonderful in our lives when we do join him in prayer. You know, I've had these things this last couple of weeks as I, you know, I haven't felt well and just kind of feeling a little bit overwhelmed. You know what's been the awesome effect of my prayer life? God has strengthened me in my own human weakness. I felt this kind of weird sense of power, even though I've been sick. I'm not feeling good physically, but I'm sitting there just rejoicing in the things that God's doing. Go, praise the Lord. It's well with my soul. It's not well with my body. My temple is a mess, but it's good with my soul. Radical sense of strength. Weird sense of strength, quite frankly. I felt more empowered in in some of the things that I've been doing, feeling weak, than I feel when I feel good. It's because, God, I don't have anything left. You're going to have to pour something in, because there's nothing left. And when he does, guess who gets the glory for it? Him. Because there is nothing left. Three Sundays ago, I got in this building, I was so unbelievably dizzy, I won't tell tell you guys this now. I'm looking out at you, and I'm thinking, you all got clown masks on. I mean, your little heads were spinning and just like, well, okay, Lord. I've had more people come up in the last couple. Yeah, that's just awesome. I don't even know what I said. I know I had notes, and I was kind of looking at them, but it was a God thing because there was nothing left. Are you joining God in prayer? Or are you able to say, Lord, I can't, so you're going to have to. And I trust you to do that. I want a beautiful part of our prayer life. And I want you to notice, it says for kings and all those who were in authority. Can you imagine how hard that was for Paul to write? He's under Roman rule. Matter of fact, the emperor at the time was none other than the notorious Nero. He was not a good guy. 
This is a guy who wrapped up Christians in animal skins, dipped them in wax, and set them on fire as torches to his parties. This is a guy who sent the Christians to their death in the Colosseum who thought there were better lion food than anything else. The annals of history describe very, very clearly what it was like to be a Christian at this time. And Paul tells Timothy, pray for everyone. Pray for kings. Pray for emperors. Pray for people who are in authority. Are you able to pray for people with whom you do not agree? Can I give you a modern day example? I pray for my president. Now, I agree with almost nothing he does. Quite frankly, I'm just telling you the truth. There is very little that he does, especially when it comes with regard to matters of faith, human sexuality, and morality in general. Most of the things he's done, I completely disagree with from a biblical perspective. But I pray for him almost every day because he's still my president. And I want him to do what is right. The only way I can affect that is to pray for him. Can I tell you, complaining does pretty much zip. Whining in the Spirit doesn't do much. But praying in the Spirit does accomplish much. For the effective, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, which I am, believe it or not, in Christ Jesus, I have some righteousness. Not because of me, because of him. Those effective and fervent prayers avail much. I want my president to change his view on the sanctity of marriage, on the value of human life. I don't want our country going the direction it's currently going, where marriage becomes a sideshow. I want our country to go the right direction if I want that, and the net result is that's the road that leads to righteousness, because it is. Sin does not lead to righteousness, does it? So my goal is to put as much righteousness in our nation through prayer as we possibly can. If I pray that direction, then I'm opening the door for the gospel to be made known. That's why you cannot pray for immoral things and expect the will of God to be accomplished. That's why I have to look people in the eye and say, you know what, I I know it seems right to live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but I'm telling you God's word doesn't say that he'll bless that. And so you're not going towards God, you're going away from God. And if your boyfriend or girlfriend is unsaved and you want them to get saved and come to Jesus, you can't just play house. That won't accomplish that goal. It will destroy your life, though. That's what God's word says. You see, I'm praying in accordance to God's will and God's word. And I'm praying for those who are not even doing the right thing. They're doing the wrong thing. Maybe I should focus more at times on those who are perhaps not right in the center of God's will. It says so that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. You wonder why we have so much trial. I think it's because we don't pray enough. I know a lot of my life, I look back on it, you know what, I never prayed about that. Let me share a little personal weakness again. You know when I started praying about being sick? 
after I'd been sick for a month. You know why? Because quite frankly, I'm kind of self-sufficient in that area of my life. And God reminded me, you know, you, you kind of started getting the cold and you didn't pray about the cold. You prayed after the antibiotics didn't work. And you know what? My prayer life was kind of whiny by then. It's like, Lord, I don't know why you let me sick. And God was very clear. Well, you knucklehead, you could have prayed when you just had that little thing in your throat. Yeah, I could have. You know why? Because I share the gospel with people. I think God wants to do that. But I wasn't really availing myself of all of him. I was kind of walking around my little self-sufficiency of my normally healthy body. Doesn't work all the time. Need to pray more. And quite frankly, do less at times. There are times when I just need to step back. You see, we're to pray for those who are the hot spots and pray for those where we have weaknesses and pray for those things in our lives to where we don't know. I think the greatest threat to a great prayer life is self-sufficiency. It's my personal opinion. I think self-sufficiency is a hindrance to a great prayer life. When you think you've got it made, I can pretty much guarantee you you don't. When you think you know all the answers, I can pretty much guarantee you you don't. When you compare those things to the Lord, I'm guessing he knows more than I do. I'm thinking his resources are pretty much greater than mine. You see, I need to pray. And I need to pray according to his purpose and plans. You see, it says that we might be have a, a peaceable life. If I want a peaceable life, who is the God of peace? It's him, isn't it? You know, the surest way to peace is to pray for his will to be done. The surest way for peace is for his will to be done. Can you imagine if every think about this? The context is all men being saved. Amen. Imagine if that actually happened. How much peace do you think we'd have? About as much as you can get with human beings. Because you have more peace with the body of Christ than you do when you have enmity with the world. Amen. You see, it's actually pretty simple, but we make it complex. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior. He's reminding us that, that, that this is the plan. This is what he actually wants. This is his priority. God wants peace. But that peace has to start in the hearts of mankind. You see, you can do all kinds of circumstantial things. They'll never bring permanent peace. The only thing that actually brings real peace is when people's lives are transformed by the Spirit of God so that they understand who the Lord is and they begin to serve Him and live for Him. Real believers doing the real work of God creates real peace. I haven't seen, you know, a whole bunch of people who are rightly walking with the Lord out suicide bombing anybody. I haven't. A vast majority of the relief work that goes on around the world is people who love Jesus. A vast majority, more than 80%, is accomplished by Christians going out and living the love of God out loud. Brings peace. You see, God's plan is that everyone be saved. 
That's what he wants. And I want to make some very clear distinction here. That God's desire is not necessarily what every man will desire. Do you understand that? In other words, God desires that everyone be saved, but that doesn't mean that every human being that's ever been on this earth has the same desire. For if love is to be real, then we have to have volition. God's desire is He loves everyone. For God so loved who? The world. That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... You see the difference? His desire is that everyone, he makes it available, he, he gives that salvation to anyone who asks, but it's up to us to receive it, to accept it, to believe it. That means that the only negotiable part of salvation is you and me. In God's mind, he wants all. And he's made it possible for all. And the moment I say, well, I am not teaching universal salvation. And I'm not saying that everyone accepts that free gift of life. I am simply saying to you, God's desire is all. And he's made provision for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is sufficient to cleanse every last human being. He died for all. He shed his blood for all. He will justify any who will come. And if you look at the differences found in Scripture between the alls and the many, between those who can and those who will believe, the only difference is you and I. It's not God. That's why I say to you that no one will ever get to heaven and go, I did it myself. Nor will anybody perish and go to hell and say, God never did anything. Both must be true. Otherwise, God assigned people to one place or the other. And if he did that, then he is not love. God could not possibly love all and desire all and then not do anything to save all. Now, the moment I say that, everybody drags, well, what about the pygmies in Africa? What about the people in New Guinea? What about the Mongolian sheep herders who, you know, have never had a missionary show up at their doorstep? Would you leave those things that you do not know in the hands of the God who does? Who has plainly declared that he desires all men to come to the knowledge of repentance. All men to be saved. Does that eliminate you and I's responsibility to do exactly what God has called us to do, which is to share the gospel? No, it does not. That's why if you want to have assurance of where your family's going... Tell them about Jesus. If you want to know what's going on in the lives of your children spiritually, tell them about Jesus. If you want to know what your neighbors are going to do when they step from time into eternity, tell them about Jesus. But know this, God will have done everything God needs to do 
for them to be able to receive that gift of eternal life. It will be up to them as to whether they received it or not. And let me give you an example so that you don't think I'm teaching heresy here. Who shared the gospel with Adam? None other than Jesus himself. But he didn't do it while Adam was alive, did he? Scripture declares that he first descended before he ascended. And there in that dwelling place of the dead, everyone who had passed from life unto death until the time of Christ. Does that mean now that those things happen? No. But what it does mean is there was a plan for Adam. There was a plan for Noah. There was a plan for Abraham. And Jesus Christ had not been on this earth, nor had he died for the sins of the world yet. And yet we know that we will see them in heaven. So God is able to work apart from humankind. Now, he doesn't do that all the time. Your goal is to share Christ with people, to see that they are saved. But please don't limit salvation to simply those whom humans have shared the gospel with. Because it seems very clear to me that Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world today, and the Holy Spirit can speak through rocks and trees and bushes and all kinds of things. Because if the Holy Spirit can't do that, then God has not kept his promise for all men to be saved. Because there are all kinds of people on this earth to whom humankind, Christians specifically, have been disobedient, and we have not gone and shared the gospel with them. There have actually been humans on this earth, quite frankly, that no one could have shared the gospel with. How about the Incans, the Mayans, the Aztecs? How about the Egyptians before the Jews came and shared the truths of the Old Testament scriptures with them? I don't believe for a moment that scripture says that there have been billions of people created on this earth specifically to be damned to hell. That couldn't possibly be a God of love. And if it is, I don't think I could love him. So I want to be very clear here. God wants you to share the gospel with everyone that you meet. But God is not limited to you. And God is not limited to me. And God is not limited to simply the church or missions organizations or anything else. God desires that all men be saved. And so I do not believe, as Calvinism teaches, that there is a master list of the damned. And if you're on it, you probably will be born into an Islamic family, or you'll be born into a Buddhist family, or you'll be born into some group of people on this earth with whom you would not ever see someone coming to Christ. I believe God can save Buddhists. And I believe that God can save Muslims. And I believe that God can save anyone on this earth at any time. And he will share with them the one way, the one mediator, which is Jesus Christ. How that happens in a foreign language, I think the Holy Spirit's able to do that. How that happens when that person lives under a rock someplace, I believe the Holy Spirit is able to do that. When does that happen? I don't know, but I know this, the experience of a vast majority of missionaries is by the time they go to a people, there's already some assemblance of this Jesus guy. 
There's already some general understanding of right and wrong and all those things, and I believe that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So if God desires for all men to be saved, we can trust him to bring about those things which are his part of that plan. The question is, will you do what you've been called is your part? No one is outside of God's mercy. No one's outside of God's love. And I pray that we would lay hold of that as a priority for our own time while we're on this earth. Notice it says that Christ is our mediator. So when you get to heaven, is anybody going to be there who didn't believe in Christ? The answer is no. But I do believe that there are going to be people there that you're going to be shocked that they believed in Christ. You know, how did that happen? That would be the work of God because he desires that all men to be saved. Doesn't mean that all will, but he desires that all could and should. That's his plan. He's able to make that happen. Jesus himself, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 20, either one says the same thing. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Notice at the end of that, a ransom for many. So not all will believe. God's desire is all. But it's up to you, it's up to me to be a part of the many. It's up to every person who's ever taken a breath on this earth to be a part of the many. But God will do his part. God cannot have as his object of desire something that is so pertinent to each of us and so permanent to all of us, which is eternity. If God has eternity in view, then don't you think God is able to act with eternity in view? I believe he is. My life, your life, we're certainly not sinless, we're not morally perfect, but Jesus absolutely was and still is. And so that due time that's being spoken of, that's God's time. You know, that parable of the laborers in the vineyard comes into view for me. I love the response of the guy who went out in the very first calling of the groups of people. There in the third, he's going out first thing in the morning, he's out working in the vineyard, and the picture there is the kingdom of heaven. And he's out there, he's sweating all day long, and he's working all day long, and he comes back. Do you remember what was said there as Jesus recounted that parable? They went and, in essence, accused God of being unjust and unfair, for they thought that they deserved more. You know what? I deserve hell. I deserve to perish eternally. And I'm getting there only by grace and mercy. So is it unfair or is it unjust that someone gets called in the last hour of the day? Perhaps pressing forward on the throttle of a F-18 fighter aircraft as the ground comes up. And he cries out, Jesus, save me. Do you not think that God answers that prayer? There are a lot of people who say, well, you know, I don't believe in deathbed conversions. We have one in the Bible. It's the thief on the cross. Talk about calling it close. <laughs> Talk about squeaking in by the hair of your chinny chin chin. Now, he happened to be talking to Jesus. 
But I believe because God's desire is all men be saved. Notice the other thief heard the same message and rejected it. It's because it's part of the many who will. Not all, but many. God's heart is all. But we have to choose. Everyone will have to choose because there's only one way. There's only one bridge. That bridge is the bridge for Buddhists. That bridge is the bridge for Muslims. That bridge is the bridge for Americans. That bridge is the bridge for Africans. That, that one bridge, that one way, that one mediator is the only mediator between heaven and earth. And if you get in, you're going to get in because of the bridge. You're going to get in because of the mediator. You're going to get in because of the one way. And that was the message that Paul had, and that's what he's reminding Timothy. He said, Timothy, keep my priorities your priorities. Make sure that you're focusing in on what God wants, and God wants people in heaven. That's what God wants. God's concern is the eternal. He cares about your daily life. His word plainly declares that, but his real concern is where you'll spend eternity. We're all spend eternity. And I pray that we leave those things in the hands of a God of love. If you're worried and you have breath, then go do something about it. If you're worried and you can do nothing about it, then trust in a God who desires for all men to be saved. If you have opportunity to share the gospel message and don't, then your heart will be pierced if something happens. But if you don't have opportunity, you can trust that the God who loves those people, no matter where they are, did something to give them opportunity. He has to because his desire is for people to be saved. Some Eskimo floating on an ice pack is not out of God's reach. Some person who set themselves up as the rich and the famous who doesn't want to hear the gospel is not out of God's reach. Some person whose mind is racked with drugs or alcohol is not out of God's reach. The question is, will you do what you can to join God in his one priority, which is that people would be saved? And we pray to that end. God, send me where you want me to go. God, use me where you can. Help me to not fail to recognize the importance of sharing salvation with anybody who will listen. Even sharing with people who won't. I sat for three hours next to a Catholic lady on the way back from Houston uh, yesterday. Uh, or Excuse me, on Friday. And I'm convinced she's going to heaven. I'm convinced. Because I shared with her about Jesus as being Savior and there only being one mediator. And she thought about it. Yeah, well, I've been doing confession. I said, who do, you who do you suppose is forgiving you of your sin? And I said, the plain statement of Scripture is that Jesus alone does that. If we confess our sin, he is faithful. Not a priest. Not praying to a saint. 
And she started thinking about it and go, you know what? That's what I actually believe. I said, then you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, you know, nobody's ever shared that with me. Now, you know what? I could have just picked up a magazine. Could have just sat there for three hours. But I had an opportunity to join God. And I said, so Lord, if you want me to talk to this lady, then you open up the door of communication. I didn't even get in my seat before she started talking. She asked me what I did. I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, much like I am this morning. I'm a pastor. You're a what? You don't have a collar. And I said, no, we don't use those. Use the time that you do have for God's priority, which is people coming to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, we want to have your priority in prayer. And Lord, we lift up those in our lives that we know don't know you. And we pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you'd be reaching into their hearts, convicting them of sin, sharing with them the truth that Jesus Christ alone is the way of salvation, that there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved, that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it's that simple. And we thank you, Lord, that even if we fail to do our part, you are faithful when we are faithless. And Lord, we do entrust those that we know to you that have not yet committed their lives to Jesus. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning and they've heard this message and they are uncertain of where they'll spend eternity, that God right now in the quietness of their heart they would confess their sin and invite you in to be Lord. And if they are uncertain that they would join uh, with an elder or with a pastor this very morning, Lord, to make sure where they're heading when they take their last breath. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.